Hey, Property Insiders, I'm Mike Stenhouse, and this is the Inside Property Investing Podcast. You are in the right place if you are an aspiring or existing investor looking to build a portfolio and a property business that works for you. And from this podcast, you're going to learn from all of my insights and advice from over a decade in the industry, as well as the lessons learned from hundreds of other successful investors. So you can listen to what worked for them and avoid what didn't. I hope you enjoy today's podcast and whatever you're up to today, I hope you have a fantastic day. Thanks for listening. Okay, I'll keep this intro super quick. Katrina Jones has been on the podcast several times in the past, and she's joining me again today. This episode is from an HMO summit that we hosted a couple of weeks ago, and Katrina joined us to talk through the rent-to-rent strategy, specifically with regards to how it relates to today's market. There's a lot of uncertainty. People are wondering, is it the right time to invest? Does rent-to-rent still work? And Katrina goes through all of this in detail. So ahead of a session that she's running in just over a week, if you're listening to this on sort of release date, uh, talking about the rent-to-rent strategy in more detail, I thought it'd be nice to share this with you just to see if it gets you excited, see if it's the type of strategy that you want to learn more about. So I will leave you to it. I hope you enjoy today's episode and I'll speak to you soon. having me. I'm incredible. Thank you. It's really, really great to be here. It's wonderful to meet all of you. I can only see a few faces and and a whole bunch of names. But yes, really, really excited to chat with you, Mike. Thank you for the invite. Lovely, jubbly. And, you know, just give us a, a, a bit of a an update on on where you're at because you've been up to some exciting travels and um yeah i mean i guess people probably heard you on the podcast in the past at least once if not not twice and you know i guess uh secret maybe they'll they'll hear you again on a, an upcoming episode in the near future but you know what's what's going on with you what's keeping you busy oh goodness me it's been it's been a phenomenal few years mike i think just in a in a little nutshell for for those of the individuals here that have no idea who I am um I ventured into the world of property probably just over 10 years ago now and um it, it I'm sure it was really similar for everybody else here it was one of those moments where I started to hear what people were achieving and what was possible. And I was just like, oh, my God, (laughs) where have I been? How can this be? It was so exciting. And so founded my first rent to rent company, like I say, just over 10 years ago. And and it's built from there. So it was around six years ago that it became completely hands free so that my partner and I were able to go and live in Dubai and travel around and just not have to be anywhere near the company, which was great. And the last year or two have been wonderful. I actually took a year out while everything was just running in the background to to just chill, because I think when we get excited about these things, it's just like next thing, next thing, next thing. And we create these monsters sometimes and we just keep going and then it's like okay let's enjoy it kind of celebrate it that sort of thing so during the year out we took a look back and one of the favorite places that we traveled out of Dubai and all of these places abroad was actually Cornwall in the UK and so about 12 weeks ago we moved down here to the coast um 
and things have slowed down a bit in terms of just chilling and you know taking it all in but yeah it's been it's been an exciting couple of years well thank you for sharing that and I am uh I'm, I'm thrilled for you you know I think getting to that stage where you can you can choose that location freedom time freedom it's what a lot of us strive for and um you know, I think to see what you have have created for yourself in your own life is is phenomenal, and I'm I'm thrilled for you. And you know, I'm thrilled to have you here and to to get a chance to to have a bit of a discussion about what got you there. So, uh, this session will be, I guess, a little bit different from some of the previous ones. We're gonna, uh, I guess, Katrina and I are gonna have have more of a discussion, a bit of an interview, uh, back and forwards. So, if anyone's got any questions at any point throughout this one, feel free to. Uh, to stick them in the chat, and we'll we'll still have a few minutes for for Q and A towards the end as well. Um, but I mean, your your focus has really been uh, on rent to rent. Um, is, has it been exclusively on rent to rent from an investment point of view? Have you done other bits and pieces alongside it, or have you just focused on this one strategy? Mike, I've tried so hard to stay focused on one strategy, but the beautiful thing about rent to rent, one of the things I love most about it is that there's always going to be landlords and deals that come up for purchase as well. So along the rent to rent journey, there's been purchase, purchase, purchase. But in terms of the company, the main company, it's been rent to rent. But it's also a massive benefit because once the rent to rent company is systemized and the team are in place and everything's being managed, every time you purchase the property, you literally just slot it in. So there is no management or maintenance or tenants or anything to deal with. The, the rent to rent company can manage all of the purchases too. So yes, I veered off I veered off with purchases, but tried my best to only do rent to rent. <laughs> And I, I guess that that passion for rent to rent must come from your, you know, your insights, your belief that it is uh, a great investment strategy for, for like, let's go back to basics, right? People might have heard about it, but not be super familiar with what it is. Like, how would you define it? What is, what is rent to rent? Yeah, good, good. That's a good question. So rent to rent is literally where you rent a property from a landlord and you guarantee that rent long term. And then you rent it out to full-time working professionals. So an ideal scenario would be usually a, a, a student-style property that you'd want to let from a landlord long-term because it's usually, usually, doesn't have to be, it's usually an average type of property um, being rented out for an average amount. And then if you wish to, you can invest a little, maybe say 3K or something, 4K, just to bring it up to a much nicer spec. We call it a light refurb. So just paint, carpet, a few nice bits and pieces. And then you rent out to full-time working professionals. So the margin between what you guarantee the landlord and what you receive minus costs is a minimum of 600 pounds a month that you'll make per property. Um, but that's minimum, minimum. Most people tend to do somewhere between 800 and a grand per property. So that's rent to rent in a nutshell. And there's so many great things about it. You don't need to invest. So the refurb is a choice. But if you say, no, I haven't got any cash. I don't want to put any money in. Let's just let it from the landlord and let it out as is. Then you're completely welcome to do that. So my fiance actually built a rent to rent business whilst being in the Royal Air Force. And he built his entire company without putting a penny in. I think we joked because he bought a canvas once and we were like, oh, <laughs> for 
pushing the boat out. Don't so, down with his 12 pounds and <laughs> could have gone to John Lewis. He only went to the range. So um it's no money down if you want it to be and it's just something you can do really quickly you know so I did my first 10 in 10 months and uh, so many people do similar they they kind of pop one out every four to eight weeks so you can ramp that cash flow up really quickly if you want to yeah that that speed is is uh, a massive when you know we've been talking about some larger projects this morning and I I am all for them. You know, a lot of our projects are towards the larger end of the scale, but time-wise from finding the deal to actually being profitable, we could be talking about years. You know, it's it's a long runway. And, you know, there I think that there are pros and cons to both. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm, I'm fully converted to rent to rent, although it does get me excited. You know, I still think we will be acquiring assets, but that prospect of introducing additional cash flow to the business in you know four to six weeks mm. it, it's difficult not to get excited about that um you said about the the refurb you don't need to do refurbs but something um you know i guess there's there's always going to be something at the back of your mind about investing into somebody else's property so when you are taking on a project to do some works to it is there a line that you draw? Is it based on the, you know, the, the return that you expect to make over the length of the guaranteed rental period? Or like how, how do you justify doing work to somebody else's property? Where do you draw that line? Yes, there's always the return on investment. That's an important thing to calculate. However, with the monthly income always being a minimum of kind of six to eight hundred and the deals always being around three to five years, if you put somewhere between three to four K in over the three to five years, it costs about 80 pounds a month. And so the benefits of that. So rather than looking at it as investing in someone else's property, I like to look at it as an investment into your increased cash flow, speed of letting rooms, marketing, branding, and all of that kind of thing. Because when you put rooms online that are, you know, fresh paint, you know, cushions, canvas, and it looks sexy and swanky, it just, it gives you so much more confidence because you're like, oh my God, who's not going to snap this room up in a heartbeat? You can then charge a little more as well. So I find that it's one of those um, things where if you don't put cash in, you charge a little less and make this much a month. But if you do put cash in, you can charge a little more. It's kind of relative. You'll probably make a similar amount. You just you just get the the brand, the the speed of the letting. And I personally think it feels different when you show a house and you're like, oh. The carpet's new, the paint's just dried, like the bed's just been put together and people are like, oh my God, like it really is brand new. So it's an investment into the whole thing, you know. Yeah, I get that. And, you know, I, I think as with anything, you kind of need to look at the spreadsheet. There's a bit of your heart involved for sure, you know, and you get that excited feeling. But if the numbers work, uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, if you've got it for for three years or five years and you're going to get a return on that investment, that mindset block of oh well I don't want to spend money on somebody else's property um it doesn't need to be an issue for you um 
Mike's just asked, you know, thinking about this process logically, uh, Mike's just said he's really interested in, in, in rent to rent and interested in hearing more about your strategy, which is great. But I, I suppose the the first step, maybe this isn't the first step. Maybe, you know, there's a bit of business admin and that sort of stuff to deal with. But I guess the first step that most people come to is sourcing deals. You know, how do I find landlords? What does that conversion process look like? Um, finding motivated property owners potentially looking at off-market deals. What does that sourcing, I mean, especially when you're talking about getting 10 in 10 months, right? That's like a phenomenal uh, phenomenal rate of growth. So um, what does the process look like? Do you find they're relatively easy to come across? I'm going to say yes. And a really good way to look at it is if you imagine your local high street in your local town or city, you know, they call it estate agents row where you've got all of the letting agents and you think, crikey, there's like 10 in a row here. And then you consider that each one of those has probably somewhere between 100 to 200, some of the big, big boys and girls, maybe like 500 properties on their books. Or if you imagine getting in a helicopter and just going above and looking down at your town or city, there is a, a crazy amount of houses we, we only want 10 in a year. So just as an example, so there's different ways to get to the landlord. So one of my favorite strategies is via the agents. Um, and the way that we word it with agents is what we're doing is kind of like a company let. So the agents have all of their properties there on the books and they've only got one job, which is to let them. So when you come in and say, oh, by the way, we've got six working professionals that are desperate for somewhere to live, they can move tomorrow. Have you got any properties? Can you help us? They're like, oh, my God, yes, that's our job. We've got all of these properties. And so you sign a slightly different agreement, but it's a massive benefit to the agent because you find the tenants for them. They technically will still get their their fees because they've passed you the property and that's what they're getting paid to do. Um, and it's just a win-win-win for everybody. Now, obviously, there's a law of averages. It'd be lovely if every agent you called was like, oh, absolutely, take them all. It tends to be about one in 10 agents that you call will become what we like to call your best friend agent. So mm -hmm. the kind of agent that you'll end up taking out for coffee or they'll call you when they've got another one that's come on before it hits the market and things. So you know, OK, if you want 10 properties, you're probably going to have to make around about 100 calls. But like you say, it's just a numbers game. So you're like ticking it off and every no you get, you're like, yes, we're one step closer. And then there's the whole other side of the game, which is direct to landlord. So we've got a few absolutely incredible ways of obtaining the HMO list from your local council. So you'll literally have a list of every single HMO landlord in your whole town or city. And then you can either do a nice letter or a sexy little brochure and you just send out offering your services. And I'm very excited to say that in the last decade, we have never sent a batch of letters or newsletters or anything and not signed a property because the number of landlords and investors out there that buy these HMOs that aren't like us. So we're all here as investors going, OK, how can we maximize the return on our investment? How can we do this in a really smart way? How can we be at the top of our game and do something different to the rest of the market? That's a really small chunk of investors, because 
the average investor has just sat and gone, okay, I've worked forever. I may as well put my savings into a property. I don't really want to manage it. I just want the return. So when you knock on the door, I'll send the letter and say, oh, we'll do it for free, by the way, because we don't charge fees. We just take a little margin because we do such a great job. We can charge more. The question that we get from landlords is, well, where's the catch? Like this is such a good service. They almost don't believe it. Then you explain why it's such a good service, show them the contract and they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. So you can go to agents, you can go to landlords, then you'll meet great landlords and and then it will come out the woodwork. Well, actually I do have another four HMOs (laughs) or, you know, you'll work with an agent and, and they'll give you another deal or landlords recommend another landlord friend. So once you get the ball rolling, we've actually got 10 different ways to find properties they're my favorite too. But once you start hammering all the different ways, it it just opens the floodgates and you kind of just close them a bit while you refurbish an tenant. And then you can open them till you catch the next one and then refurbish and tenant. And you can kind of do that as fast or as slow as you want to, depending on what your goals are, how much time you have to put into the strategy and that kind of thing. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, you've you've been doing this for a, a long time, right? So you've got experience. You know what works, and you have have seen the the rate that this can can grow at. With regards to the current market, and again, it's something that's coming up quite a lot just now. There's a lot of uncertainty about mortgage interest rates. Utility costs are high. How is that impacting the rent to rent market? Is it impacting it at all? I was so hoping someone was going to ask this question. <laughs> it's it's the best news ever. So it really hasn't had an impact. So when it comes to mortgage rates, the great news is as a rent to rent operator, it's kind of none of your business. And I say that in the most polite way. The HMOs are going to, they're all out there. So if it, they're going to be owned by somebody and and there's a huge percentage of owners that are going to want a guaranteed rent and a hands-free service. It's literally just a no-brainer. So regardless of whether John or Bob are panicking about their interest rates or might sell or might not sell, they have a HMO sat there that needs to be tenanted and they need the rents to pay the mortgage. So your service, if anything, is going to be even more in demand because those landlords that were like, oh yeah, we can do this ourselves or we'll just do this. They're like, oh my God, actually be really helpful to have someone just come in and do this. So it's one less thing we need to worry about. And when it comes to the utilities, utilities are capped. So in the assured short-hold tenancy that you'll sign with your tenants that you move in, we do, it's a generous cap. We're not tight with it, but depending on the size of the property, we'll cap the utilities somewhere between maybe 250 and 350 a month. And then as the tenants move in, we say, listen, no tumble drying for an hour for one pair of socks on a Friday night. <laughs> no heating on, windows wide open, just because you like the kind of hot, kind of cold, like let's do a solid for the planet. And at the same time, look after our back pocket. So if you guys go over the cap, we will have to split the remaining gas and electricity equally between all the tenants. And when we tell the tenants, they're like, okay, good. The windows are closed. The radiators are semi, like they're sensible. And the worst case scenario goes over by the time you split it between four, six or eight people. You know, it's not 
no one's breaking the bank. It might be the equivalent of a, a swanky night out once a month or something, but they're cool. It's chill. Like it hasn't, it really hasn't had an impact. Okay, good to know. Um, I thought it would be interesting to have a look at one of your projects just so we can get an idea of what the the specific numbers and the breakdown where the the costs come from and what the profit looks like and then we can continue the discussion with a bit more context around a typical rent to rent deal if that's okay sure yes sure so i know you have you've sent me the details of this property hopefully you can see this on my screen I can Um, i shared this one with you i think i mentioned it when we were chatting this is one of my favorite case studies because it I feel like it kind of shows behind the scenes of how simple rent to rent can be in so many ways. So the reason that I chose this property to share is because it was actually the first deal I ever signed. And I actually didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> so I completely made up my own script. And I was actually calling agents and saying, oh, hi there, I'm calling from a local company um, and we've got some some um, professionals that want to rent a student-style house. I don't suppose there's any houses on your books that you don't want, are there? <laughs> you don't have to be an expert in property. That's probably quite a stupid pitch, but I didn't know what I was doing when I started rent to rent so I was making it up as I went along. And I remember I was sweating. I My lips were shaking. I was so nervous. And on the day I kept distracting myself, I was like, I'll just wash up and then I'll start calling agents. I'll just put <laughs> yeah. some laundry on. And then I called this agent and he literally said, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and I, I mean, it's I wasn't... You know, I knew I wanted to deal, but I wasn't actually expecting an agent to say, yes, we have a property that we don't want. Um, He said, there's one on our books and it's a nightmare and we can't let it out. Do you want to come see? And I was like, yes, more than anything. So I went to see it and um, the lady, the landlord's one of my favourite people. She she owned the shop downstairs um, and I was standing outside and... I think this is such an important short story to share because there's such depth to it. But she came out of the shop and she said, are you here to view? And I was like, yes. And she said, oh, I'm the owner. But you're the fourth person this month that's come to view, but the agents just don't turn up. Oh, wow. Even though they were saying, like, this is the absurdity of what can happen with agents, even though they're saying we can't let it, it's because they weren't even showing up for the viewings. So... She showed me around. We looked in all the rooms and in my head, I could just picture this spreadsheet that I'd made at home on Excel, this really basic one. And I was trying to figure out what what should be my offer and how should I do it? And it's a seven bed HMO. So we went up to the very top. You can see the little attic windows up there. Up here, yeah. Yeah. And it it was actually, um, I think it was June or July, so it was really hot. And she took me into the attic and... (laughs) I stood in the seventh bedroom and it was fire doors because it's HMO. So this door slammed behind her and she just said, so are you interested? And I said, yes, I absolutely am. She said, well, how much are you going to offer me? And I thought, oh, no, I really wish I had my spreadsheet. So I thought I'll go in low. And if she says no, I'll say, no worries. I'll go home and cool off and then I'll recalculate and start the negotiation. 
And I said, well, usually on a property like this, as if I'd ever done it before, um, we offer around £50 per room per week. So that would work out at around about, I think it came to about £1,500. And she just stood for a moment and she said, okay, great. And she just put her hand out and shook my hand. (laughs) Every part of you is trying to stay calm and on the inside. You're doing all these cartwheels. And so I went out to the car and I was, and my car was parked around the corner and I like triple checked there was no one looking. And I was like, <laughs> done. And she ended up negotiating like an extra 70 pounds. So the reason I tell this story is because we assume that all the agents out there are doing an, an incredible job and they've got everything done to a T and all their rooms are let it's not the reality so many agents whether they're struggling to let one for even the most absurd reasons or whether they've just they've taken on too many properties and actually they can't fulfill their promises to their landlords whether them as, as an agent are scaling down like there's a million reasons why agents alone out of one of the 10 ways you can find the properties will hand you a property so it was advertised for 2183 but once I spoke to the landlord and took off the management fee that she was paying took into account the void period she was experiencing because they just weren't letting the rooms Mm -hmm. for her when I got home and worked it out I'd actually negotiated something ridiculous like 30 pounds from what she was already actually getting which is why she shook my hand so quickly because it was kind of the same that she'd that she'd received for years so there's such a disparity between quite often what you see advertised as what a landlord would like to get for the rent versus what actually lands in their pocket. And once you deduct all of these things and, and offer them the equivalent of what lands in their pocket, they're not making any less. But then you can pop in, I put 3K into this one, uplifted the rents, as you can see. And Mike, your little mouse is just there, but uplifted rents to make like just over 3K a month. And then after the rent utilities and some conservative kind of squirreling away for voids, it's still made over a grand a month. And this property is still on our books literally like 10 years later because they don't go anywhere. It's a no-brainer. What the the most that will happen every three to five years is we might chuck a couple of extra grand in, or even the landlord might do it. We might increase the rent a little, but market rents increase anyway, so it still doesn't impact the the actual net profit. So, yes, one of my all-time favourites. And the reason why I can share one from ten years ago is because honestly, they don't change. <laughs> They're just copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, like it's. It's just the same thing the whole time, you know. Yeah. No, I I love that story. And, you know, in particular, the the reasoning behind it, you know, when you break down the numbers and you said you're you're actually not paying the landlord much less than they were receiving already you can see why it's a win-win and it, it can be a win-win right like uh, maybe maybe people have this this preconception that or oh, rent to rent where so, somebody's got to be getting ripped off so i don't want to be associated with that but the the landlord is getting more or less what they were getting and they probably know the property's been looked after better because you're mm. invested in it as well and you can still make a grand a month profit from a house that you don't own. You've only put £3,000 into the refurbishment and it was probably up and running in weeks rather than than months with uh, you know a purchase. So 
it's it's a great story and the fact that you say you know it's just it's copy paste copy paste I, I really love that totally and also Mike another thing is it's it's amazing how we have these preconceptions and how the reality is always so different we've had landlords that you know I, I love our landlords and i as you probably can guess get quite excited and and also oh my god come around and have a look like you've got to see what we've done and so we've had landlords that you know handwritten thank you letters and then you know they'll buy us multiple bottles of champagne like they're really grateful like this is their investment and the fact that we then go in and invest too they're like oh my god you you love this property as much as we do we've had landlords that for whatever reason, if they are remortgaging to pull some cash out in the background, they ask for a copy of all the ASTs. And I remember the first time I was like, oh, no, this is going to be the moment where they're like, you're renting the rooms for how much? And then I and then I thought to myself, Kat, you've literally had this conversation when you signed the property. You told them what you do. It's not mm-hmm. like this big, dark, dirty secret. <laughs> they understand. And uh, and I sent the ASTs and before she received them, she literally messaged and said, P.S., don't worry. I don't care how much you're renting the rooms for. I understand the model. We just need to get the remortgage. And obviously, then you realize, ah, like you said earlier, Mike, when you convert HMO, you increase the value. When you increase those gross rents, if they're being revalued commercially, you've you've just done a solid for the landlord, too. So. It is only ever win, win, win in mm-hmm. this situation. We send landlords chocolates or flowers on their birthday. Like we'll meet them for coffees. They refer us to friends. They truly love the service. Dude, that's great to hear. Um, it's it's funny. We were in Morzine in the French Alps recently and the company that we were staying with, I got chatting because I, you know, I'm, I'm a property person. Anybody who's got any involvement in property, particularly when it involves being in the French Alps and me thinking, hmm, maybe I could do this. I got chatting to them and, and a lot of their model is, is rent to rent. They will rent chalets off owners for, you know, the, a, a, and usually I think they were saying about 30 grand a season. Uh, and then they're renting them out for, you know, some in some cases, five grand a week, but it's exactly the same model. And in the US, they call it rental arbitrage because the, the Americans like to put fancy names on things. But like it's it's simple. It exists in many different industries. It's not it's not new, but you know, it's it's a a, a great business that you can scale unbelievably quickly, as you have shown. I love it. Um so yeah, that was that was just my little anecdote. I uh, I have a, Chris, too, a, a question here as well from from Chris. You were talking there about um, you know sometimes the landlord puts in some of the money towards the the refer, but you know you you mentioned this one. You've 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 had it for ten years. Is that something that you'd agree upfront? Who's responsible for what? He said, you know, fixing a tap versus a big capital expenditure. Is it clearly defined, or is there a chance that you get lumped with some you know uh, a ten grand bill to fix the roof? How does that work out? Okay, that's a great question. So this has changed over the years and I learned the hard way. So I'm really glad that you've asked this because we used to have a little um, kind of add on thing that we do with the landlords where we'd say anything under 50 pounds will cover it. Um, because it seemed and you know on the previous case study I put by 100 pound for voids I used to just put by 100 pound a month per property for maintenance and I used to think well you know usually there won't be more than two incidents and if there is another property will have less it will all balance out 
and then and then the company grew and then it grew and then it grew and then one one day we sat down to look at the P&L and our annual expenses for maintenance under 50 pounds was 30,000 pounds <laughs> we said okay let's not do that anymore yeah. it's their asset they own the property and let's be honest with it there's no other tenant or agent on the planet that's going to say oh don't worry i'll pay for your maintenance they get the the uplift of the of the capital value you know they have all the benefits of owning the assets so whilst we guarantee the rent and do everything else they pay for all of the maintenance um when we got the company to the size where we had an in-house maintenance person um any nifty bits that they could do we just we just do it for free to be helpful and wouldn't make a big deal out of it but i would always suggest um when starting out that all maintenance is the landlord's responsibility because it was before whether they were self-managing or with an agent and with a normal high estate agent they they um often just put a percentage on top to make even more mm-hmm. so you can even phrase it and say you know unlike high street agents or some high street agents we don't put commissions on you know our maintenance teams and things like that we work hard to find the lowest rates and the most reliable people and we literally charge you what they charge us we don't do anything sneaky so we'll keep costs as low as we can for you and just charge them for all of it you'll make a lot more money <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Uh, Chris is just saying that he's got a number of HMOs of his own HMOs that they rent out as as rent to rent. So definitely win win on both sides. It's interesting to hear that from from his perspective as well. Just echoing what you have said. Um, you also mentioned you know you mentioned the duration that some some of these agreements go on for. Is there any scope? Has it ever uh, come up where you know landlords said we're thinking to sell? Do you want to buy it? Do you get opportunities to go from being the rent to rent operator to actually growing your portfolio this way? Yes, yes, it's one of my favourite treats when a landlord calls to say they'll sell. So we have a clause in our agreement that says if you're looking, if you do decide to sell please can you sell it to us or at least give us the opportunity to purchase it before you put it on the market? Because if we don't want to buy it for whatever reason, if it's way too expensive or something like that, we can at least find another investor and and take a percentage and still somehow make turn it into a deal and a profit. Um, But yes, I've purchased a handful of them over the years. And like you say, Mike, it's just a great way. It's another string to the bow to to expand the asset portfolio alongside the rent to rent company. I love it. And it, you know, it's it's something that can uh it can allow you to do both get that cash flow coming in in the short term and think about adding to your portfolio in in the long term, which is is nice. The the something that goes along with that that we've been talking about more and more recently. I had an in a discussion with somebody uh, on the podcast about it. We had a discussion at our mastermind quarterly retreat a couple of weeks back i think and i don't know if you if you feel that there is maybe a bit of a misconception that rent to rent is like a a beginner strategy and it absolutely can be like don't get me wrong i'm not saying that it's not it is something that you can get into with with little experience but i think people think that that is where it begins and ends where it is it can actually be a great tag on strategy alongside your acquisition uh, you know, you're buying HMOs or any other type of investment properties. And 
alongside acquiring assets, which can be expensive and slow. There's no reason that you can't be looking at rent to rent deals at the same time. And I guess, you know, with all the people that you've worked with, have you seen examples of that where people are doing both in tandem? I, I, you know, it, it doesn't need to be, well, I do rent to rent, so I can't buy properties, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I would probably put rent to rent operators and business owners in two categories. So there's either someone who's like cat, we just want an extra three to five K a month, because actually, I really want to be an artist or travel the world or have babies and not have to work full time. And they really just want that extra three to five K a month. But then you have the rest of us where we're like, okay, that's really fun, but I'm here, I'm here to play the game for the long term and and build an asset portfolio and maybe flip or keep or whatever you want to do. So it's kind of 50-50, really. But so many clients and, and mentees will start off with rent to rent. Um and it kind of turns into a bit of a, a side hustle, as it were. And then off they go and start to buy HMOs and acquire properties. It's just a natural progression. But to do it the other way around, I mean, you guys would be laughing. Obviously, I understand you're more on the a lot of you more on the purchasing side. If you can purchase and renovate, like for an example, what Nikki showed me was mind blowing. Like she'd be able to do a rent to rent while she's cooking dinner. <laughs> You know, just pop one out in her sleep because it will be so simple for you guys. So if you think, you know what, another 3K month would be really helpful right now. You could give yourself 12 weeks, get it up, wrapped up, done, probably in the background while you're purchasing. So it's super complimentary. It's like gravy on the roast dinner. I love it. I love that analogy. And you've got Nikki thinking she's uh, she's just left a comment there saying that uh, you know, that's piqued her interest, which is is great. And you know, I think it's um, I, I think it's really interesting. I don't think a lot of people talk about that. You know that that crossover between the two, but uh, I think more people probably should explore it. Uh, we've we've had a bunch of questions in the chat, so I'm going to whiz through some of these, and then we will. Uh, we will uh, we'll break for lunch. Some of these are getting into the weeds a little bit. And um, I guess if we we don't get because, you know, there's there's limited time. And I guess there's some stuff that um, you could probably go into in more detail with a longer discussion. I know you've got uh, another like a session that's focused specifically on this coming in a couple of weeks. So um if there's anything that you're like, well, you know what, we'll answer that in that next session. Uh, I think you're you're going to send me a link for that and I can share that with this group if they want to come and join and find out a bit more about Rent to Rent. Yeah, absolutely. We have um, we have our live webinar coming up soon, which will be a real deep dive into the nuts and bolts a little bit more. So yeah, I'll drop you the link for sure. Perfect. I'll send that out uh, as soon as I get that from, from Castle for everyone who's registered for this. If you're here or in the watching the replay, um, that will be worth checking out if you are thinking about rent to rent. Um, Henry said, do you rent through a limited company? Uh, limited company or personal name? More and more of the, the sort of acquisition side of investing is pushing towards limited companies. Is it the same for, for rent to rent? Yes, always a limited company, 100%. Okay. Uh, Mike said, how do I get hold of Katrina's magic list? I guess he's talking about the 10 different sources. I mean, she shared two with us today, and you said they're your favorite two, I think, Katrina, right? Um, 
And I guess, is that, is that the type of thing that you'll be looking at in more detail in this upcoming session? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, 100%. I mean, we have, we have our online course, which is the entire strategy from beginning to end. Um, so if you're, if you understand everything about HMOs, obviously apologies, Mike, because I don't know your experience, but if you're, if you've got HMO in the blood (laughs) and all you need is literally a tweak to what you're currently doing, then yes, of course, I'd be so happy to literally just share the scripts. But if you're looking to set up a limited company and, and actually build a rent to rent portfolio, and you need everything from the correct agreement to the legals, the scripts, the, the negotiation, how to add it all up together, what type of properties to go for, taking in licensing and planning to account. And, and that whole side of things, that's a bit more in depth than we cover that on the course. But I'm super happy to share the scripts for sure. Okay, cool. Um, so if he's asked about the letting agents, do they do you keep them in the deal? Do you cut them out? Do you pay them? Like, how do you keep relationships sweet without that becoming an extra? cost for you yes good question so there's two types of agents out there there's the type of letting agent on a tenant find fee which is where the landlord's gone to them and said look you just find the tenants and then when you do we'll pay you a fee and then we'll do the rest so where a landlord may self-manage for example or the type of agent where a landlord says, please, can you rent it out? And then can you look after it? I don't want anything to do with it. So you've got tenant find and fully managed. So both work perfectly because if it's a tenant find, you're literally the tenant. So the agent says to you, here's a property, the landlord pays the fee, but then instead of the landlord self-managing, you manage it for them. So it's the easiest thing in the world. The great thing about, kind of becoming best friends with an agent that is on a tenant find fee with a lot of properties is that they can just keep giving you more and more and more out the the pb we did was a hat trick we did three in a day with one agent um so that's the tenant find and then with the managed it's also a win-win because if the agent has a contract to manage the property you can put your tenants in and guarantee the rent through the agent, but they keep managing. So they get their management fee guaranteed, which is a win for them. Mm -hmm. They do all of the maintenance, which is a win for you, but you find all the tenants and they don't have to do anything, which is also a win for them. So there really isn't a situation in this entire thing where everybody isn't winning. Makes sense. As with everything, it makes a lot of sense. Um, the next question uh, that was just Chris saying about you know, him being the landlord and that that um, that working for him from that side of the equation as well. Uh, lease options. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not dissimilar. It's a different kettle of fish. But we spoke a little bit about you know potential purchases down the line. Do you do you consider lease options when discussing with landlords, or you typically focus on on rent to rent because that's your strategy and your approach? Yes, we've purchased three lease options as well. I think the best lease option we ever did, um, we flipped. And I think that was um, profit was around. We kept it for a little while. And then I think about 18 months later, we sold it. And I think that made about 100K. So lease options are are a good way to go as well. Okay. Chris has asked about good properties 
are the generally existing HMOs that are underperforming or single lets which are subdivided? And I presume both can be great options. Do you know, both can be great options. Obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, HMOs that are ready made are the best because everything's in place. The licensing, the planning, the rooms are ready. It's literally a case of putting the tenants in. Whereas when you're looking at single lets or residentials to kind of subdivide, there becomes just a whole bunch of things that you need to check that you wouldn't have to check with an existing HMO, like the mortgage regulations, the licensing, the planning, the room sizes, and all that kind of stuff. So it can totally be done. And we do that too. Just takes a little bit more effort. If you've got a ready-made HMO there, it's just like done super quick and easy okay well katrina thank you so much for being with us and, and sharing that today like i say if there are questions coming in i see a few more still coming through um but yeah if you've got a few minutes to to answer them that would be fantastic for everybody else's benefit we are going to take a 45 minute lunch break uh so we'll be back here at 2 p.m for our next session mm-hmm.